you're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. This is episode 17, and I'm joined today by a friend of mine, Chris the Primal Man Hackle. He has written quite extensively on getting into the best shape of your life using the methods of our ancient ancestors. And for a guy who looks like he's 25 at age 42, I'm inclined to take his advice. So Chris, thank you for coming on, brother. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. So what got you into the, uh, the idea behind the primal man? What, what started all that? I mean, I guess you can take it all the way back to sort of what got me on Twitter in the first place. And a lot of that was around the fact that, you know, I'm 42 now. And I think there was like one instance in particular where a friend of mine who's like sort of in my, my age group, maybe just a little bit older, he had a barbecue. And this was like a couple years back. And I was just sitting around there and he was talking to another guy. And they're both kind of heavy set guys. These are guys with like pretty big families and everything. And they're kind of joking with each other about who's going to have a heart attack first. And like, you know, it's like, it was funny in the context or whatever, but like you think about it and these guys do look like the kind of guys that potentially could have heart attacks. And they're the ones who are like the bread earners for their families, which are big families, kids in school and such. I was just thinking, you know, so many guys, when they hit that age, they just think that this is the way that I'm supposed to be. And I wanted to kind of get out there and present a different example, show that that's, you don't have to put on that weight. You don't have to be completely sedentary you can get be as fit as you've ever been in your life, even as you get older. So that's kind of like what got me on Twitter and got me out there sort of talking about it in the first place. Now, the evolutionary side to it, like the, uh, the, the primal side to it, I kind of just have a tendency to think of things that way. Um, and that's from the perspective of like, you know, the way I eat, um, physical stuff, and even sort of evolutionary psychology. Like, I just kind of always tend to think of things within that context. And from the eating side, basically, I think that, you know, a lot of just what's happened in recent history with the obesity epidemic, it's really the result of two main things. It's one, we do have some sort of evolutionary tendencies to overeat. There's, there's a number of reasons for that that I can get into. But then two, the types of foods that are out there now are just very low quality, but extremely palatable foods and high calorie. So I think that if you kind of like approach things with an evolutionary lens, you can sort of frame a way of eating, frame a way of exercising and frame a way of thinking that sort of lets you live a much more healthy lifestyle. So that's, that's the kind of the broad picture of it. Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, and this example kind of get, gets used a lot. It's the Homer Simpson mentality yeah. that guys have, you know, when you were talking about those two guys that were at the barbecue joking about who was going to have a heart attack. It, that seems to be the trend that actually gets depicted more. Um, I don't have TV now, but when I had TV and network television and all this other you know, the, if there was a sitcom based around a family, the guy, the dad, you know, the essentially the, the patriarch and breadwinner of the family was overweight and incompetent 
and he yep. was basically, he was the comedic relief yep. uh, of the family when in reality, you know, had it not been a TV show, the wife's pissed. The kids are probably just all over the place as far as their morals and virtues and behavior and level of production goes. Yep. And then he's probably going to end up screwing them all over with a mediocre sized life insurance policy when he croaks over a cheeseburger. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I actually talk about that in that, in the mindset course that I just put, uh, put out that, uh, you know, the way that society presents what a man is supposed to be at this point is extremely detrimental. It's basically like, you know, this guy who's just like, his only activity is sitting on the couch, drinking beer and watching sports. He's got, you know, the big gut and he's, you know, he's really just not making any big contributions. He's not being, he's not holding that role that men traditionally have held. And that's what people are presented with all the time on TV, everywhere. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And, you know, it feeds into uh, the self-depreciating humor and it, it's funny. I mean, I make fun of myself, you know, and that's fine as long as you don't go overboard with it. Cause I think a lot of people maybe get sucked into that self-depreciating cycle just because it gets them a laugh and yeah. that kind of validates them. They're like, Oh yeah, look how fat I am. Ha ha ha. You know that, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. But it's not when you think about it long term and the actual uh, residual effects that it's going to have on you, right? Uh, and those that you're supposed to be taking care of and protecting. Um, but you know, with the self depreciation thing, it's kind of you know, words have power, and you talk yourself into believing you're that mediocre comedic relief of your family you know, the Homer Simpson of your family, yep. that's the kind of lifestyle you're going to live. So you have to really push to get out of that kind of mindset. Exactly. And you know, it is, it's self-perpetuating too, because it's like you are the model for what your kids are going to become. So they see you out there. Like when I was growing up, my father had us like, you know, we were going camping all the time. We were sort of always out like for long camping trips and like in the woods, moving around a lot. He was just always like a very sort of fit guy. He was always playing basketball or out there doing something. Like to me, that's just natural. Like that's just what you do. So when I think of a guy in his forties and beyond, I think that that's what someone should be doing. I don't think that he should just be sitting on the couch and just kind of just watching TV or whatever. And you know, I want my kids to see me doing that. And I love it. I love the fact that, you know, like I'll film some of my sets or whatever, just to like review my form when I'm, when I'm squatting or whatever else. And my son, he loves to watch it. Like you know, I have a six year old son and uh, you know, he's always asking, he's like, you know, dad, I want to see your muscles. I want to see you, you know, doing this lifting. And so I know that down the line, like he's going to remember that. And so he's going to have fitness be a big part of his life as well. And so, you know, it's important from that perspective too. Yeah, you know, I mean, kids learn more uh, from what they see you do much more than they, you know, hear you tell them to do or whatever. You know, they learn more from what you do than what they, you know, hear you say. Absolutely. And you know, I think this uh, is not nearly as bad as it is on your end in New York City with this coronavirus lockdown. But to me, I think it's the best thing that's ever happened, uh, at least around, you know, for me. Because yeah. I've spent I've spent so much time working that this is actually a break being furloughed and laid off. I'm actually getting to spend more quality time with the kids and. Yep, that's true. Uh, that's true. That is yeah, a very was, nice aspect of it. 
Yeah, it is. And I spent the last three days, you know, beating my ground uh, into a very nice garden, you know, and wow. my sons, my sons have been inside because they're doing that remote learning, uh, getting their schoolwork done. They come out and help a little bit. But this morning, uh, my 13 year old just came straight out of bed, got dressed and I'd already been outside for about an hour or two. And he comes outside. Hey, what needs to be done? And it was like, holy crap. And this is the kid who usually tries to shirk the duty because he's 13. You know, he tries to shirk the, uh, you know, he tries to shirk his responsibilities because again, he's 13, but he comes outside. He's like, okay, dad, what needs to be done? Where can I help? It's fantastic. And it's because he's actually been able to see me, not just go get into a car and leave. He's seeing me outside busting my ass for 10, 12 hours a day in the yard yeah. and then coming inside. And he's, he's picking up on that behavior. So with what you've done with establishing this, the new dad bod is what I'm, I've taken to calling what you do. That's the new dad bod, yeah. right? It's not the John Goodman and Roseanne dad bod, but your kids see that. And more dads doing that, their kids will see that because their dad is the role model. He's their superhero, Yep. you know, and so they're going to want to be just like him. And that's only going to make them better if you're in shape. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, you're saying superhero. And I think that's like a, a key word because you, you, con you contrast the idea of what people have in their mind of a superhero with what you do see on TV. And like, there couldn't be a possibly more of a stark contrast though. It's like, the weakness sort of like that's depicted on TV is not only physical weakness, but even like psychological weakness and like, you know, unwillingness to sort of like stand up. It's like, it's such a contrast there than sort of the, the superhero mythology. Yeah. But again, you know, our, I think a lot of these superheroes that we're seeing are based off of you know, real people and what they do. And the, at least the virtues that we see a lot of real people, uh, exhibiting, um, you know, life imitates art and art imitates life. And, uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of people, especially in our circle, trying to basically step up and be better in every aspect, whether it be physically, financially, mentally, spiritually. And so you're starting to see that reflected a little bit more in the media. Yeah. Uh, because that's what's more palatable. It's more, it's more relatable when you see people actually trying to level up. You see content out there that reflects that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great thing. It's like, and people like you, people like, you know, Nate, who's, who's our friend, uh, Chronicles of Nate on the, on the financial side. It's like, you can surround yourself. Like, I, being these very strong, you know, good sort of models that you can follow both on the physical side and uh, and everything else. Yeah.
I think we may be having some technical issues here. There we go. We had a little bit of a technical issue there. Uh, you know if that's happening on your side or mine? I'm not sure. Okay. But we'll just keep rolling with it. <laughs> the show must go on. Um, so primal strength was the first thing that I saw you put out as far as your content. Uh, you mind taking uh, us through like the whole concept behind the primal strength? Cause it seems like there's a bit more of a, uh, of a focus on functional strength, more, more of than, a, you know, like a gym strength. Yeah, actually. So, so primal eating was the first, was the first, okay. book, but, um, so I can speak to that like a little bit first and I can get into the strength side just because I do think that um, you know I think you know strength training is obviously hugely important but I actually think that people if they're going you know they should start with both at the same time but eating getting your diet short off is just extremely extremely important um, you know the way that I approach this is all right so this is kind of taking it to that that evolutionary side right we're basically geared to whenever we encounter sort of high calorie, high sugar, high fat food to eat as much as we can. And you think about this from an evolutionary perspective, it completely, it completely makes sense, right? You're walking around as like, you know, prehistoric man in the woods, you come upon this tree that's like loaded with fruit. What do you do? You eat as much as you possibly can at that moment because one, it's not going to keep, right? If that if you don't eat it then it's got you can't take it back with you and throw it in the refrigerator so the way that you stored food was to store it as fat to get it in you and you know that was your that was your reserve plus you wanted to eat, eat it before anything else came along and ate it off the tree and took it from you something stronger like some an animal so we're sort of geared from an evolutionary perspective just to when we encounter high caloric food to eat as much as we possibly can. So that's one thing that we're fighting against, the evolutionary tendency. Then you look at the food industry and basically they have scientists who are taking advantage of sort of every single sort of psychological vulnerability that we have or physiological vulnerability for different types of food and like designing foods so that we don't stop eating them. So there are people with literal PhDs in food science who look at things like, you know, one of the things is vanishing caloric density. So you throw a Cheeto in your mouth and you know how it kind of like dissolves. That Cheeto has a shit ton of calories in it. That should fill you, but it's designed so that the way that it dissolves tricks your brain into saying like, oh, this is like a no calorie food. I better keep eating it. Plus like the taste profile that they design the foods with are designed in a way that no one flavor overwhelms. And again, that's something that tricks your brain into saying, I'm not full. So we have all these natural sort of to tell us when we're full and they design food, food engineers. Literally designed to keep you eating them. Um, Second thing is that the things that these foods are made of are like the, the lowest quality possible ingredients. It's amazing to think. And you know, if you, if you think back to our early ancestors, like if you told them that the majority of foods that we are going to be eating in the future 
are these extremely low quality, just grains and seeds that are, have almost no nutrition in them. Like that's going to be constitute the bulk of our diets, not like meat, not, you know, uh, you know, sort of green, rich vegetables or fruits, but these like pathetic seeds that have no nutrition in them, they would have their minds blown. But you walk down grocery aisles and you have this illusion of variety everywhere. You have boxes upon boxes and different brands. And what it is, is like five different grains. You know, you have like corn and you have barley and you have a few other things, these low quality seeds that are just ground up and just transformed into all these different things that give the illusion of variety. But if you were to strip all that packaging off and just show the raw ingredients, you'd have seeds essentially. Essentially grass seeds is what all these things are, which that's our diet. So, you know, that's the one thing I like to sort of point out in the book is like basically pull back that curtain and be like the things that you're eating, you may feel like you're eating a different a variety of foods, but you're not. It's all as low quality as you possibly can eat. So that's kind of what the primal eating, you know, it's, it's on one hand trying to show the quality, the low quality of the foods and um, you know, things along those lines, but then also like paleo books that have been written in the past. So there's plenty of paleo diets out there, right? Those diets are kind of, they're like basically 100% speculation. We don't have good sort of fossil evidence of what our earliest ancestors ate. Um, the paleo books are very rigid and dogmatic. They say, you know, don't eat this, don't eat that. You can't eat dairy, all these other things but based on what? They don't really know that. They don't know that you know our ancestors ate these things or didn't eat these things. So what I did was I collected dozens of papers on modern hunter-gatherer societies and looked at what they're actually eating, looked at what their health profiles actually are, You know what the, um, their levels of obesity, their levels of uh, metabolic disease, their levels of heart disease, things along those lines. And they're all fantastic. And there is a very, very, you know, sort of broad body of literature on these um, hunter-gatherer populations that exist now. So you can actually see what they are eating and the effects on their health and model a diet after that. So that's what I tried to do in primal eating. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the uh, the paleo diet, how there's a bunch of different ones out there, but there's all, you know, there's also the keto, there's, it, I, I'm, I feel like, our relationship with food has become corrupted. Yeah. The best way to say it. You know, I, I work with a bunch of people and I see people all the time talking about, well, I'm, I'm trying the, you know, keto diet or, or, or the paleo or the carnivore or the, the all green. I just eat. Yeah. <laughs> So you know, that's, I, I don't have to put a label on what I'm doing. I just eat. But yeah. Absolutely. And that's actually, that was actually one of the main reasons why I wrote that book too, because like, there's also the people who are very focused on calorie counting and like macro balancing, things like that. But me personally, and I know that those work for people. Okay. So I, I don't like talk down on those at all because I know people have lost weight. They've been very successful doing those types of things. I personally cannot like, every single meal I eat, take out my phone and sit there for 15 minutes and be like, all right, it contained this and this, I think it weighed about this or like sit there with a scale and weigh all that. You don't, I don't think you need to do that. Cause if you just 
sort of model your diet in a certain way where you just take this perspective on it and you know especially if you're modeling sort of a hunter-gatherer type of way of eating there's fasting built into it because there's going to be times when you know food's hard to come by you go out hunting and you're unsuccessful so you don't have anything to eat for like a full day or you have a very small amount to eat so like fasting um fasting is part of it too when you eat eat well because when you do go out and have a successful hunt you're gonna have a big meal so to have like you know a good bunch of food when you break your fast um i believe in eating seasonally so like eat fruits when they're actually in season don't eat things that are imported from all over the world just so you can have blueberries in the middle of the winter or whatever else um variety is a big part of it too you know hunter-gatherer societies eat opp opportunistically so you know, whatever sort of available is what you eat. So there's a lot of variety in the diet as well. And I think that that's, that's healthy and it kind of has this rotation of foods that um, just sort of naturally gets built in that way. And that's what our bodies sort of expect. That's what we evolve. That's the way we evolve to eat. So again, I don't think you need to be extraordinarily rigid on one end, like where you have either the keto diet or these other or carnivore diets where like, all right, I'm going to solve this problem by just eating one type of food or just like three types of food or whatever. Like you can still eat a lot of different things and have like delicious meals. But if you just do it within a certain framework, you can also stay extremely lean and stay very healthy. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, Jordan Syatt. He is a, uh, yeah. Run Syatt fitness. He was Gary V's personal trainer. Um, I like his approach to when he's talking about, you know, I'd rather you be 80% successful on a diet than a hundred percent, because that means you're not miserable. Yep. And I think, you know, a lot of this comes, you know, you're saying that, you know, a hunter gatherers diet is opportunistic. It just gets what he can find. Well, if you find that pizza, eat that pizza, it's not going to destroy you. Totally. Totally. And, and that's, that would be what sort of happens. Like, you know, you do find like a really high calorie food source every once in a while. And yeah, you just totally binge on that. That's fine. That's going to happen, but it's going to happen rarely. Right. So if you just, yeah. again, it's sort of bringing it back to just a framework that you can approach your eating in. And like, that's actually, you know, I have sort of these, these mindset uh, guidelines in that book as well. And, you know, some of the questions you can ask yourself when you're thinking like, oh, should I eat this or not? And one of them is like, how easy would this food have been to find in nature? Like, obviously, there's certain types of foods that you wouldn't have found or whatever. But like, when you think of just a high calorie food, it would have been really, really hard to find. And it would have taken a lot of work to obtain it. Like any high calorie, high uh, nutrition food in nature takes a lot of work. So earn it. If you're going to eat it, at least earn it. You know, like, you know, make sure that you're you're physical and you know, you're, you're getting some exercise and then don't feel bad at all about eating it because yeah, that's natural. It's natural to have like big high quality meals every once or high calorie meals every once in a while. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not, you wouldn't find, you know, a 300 pound grizzly bear in the wild every day to gorge on. Right. So, or 300 pounds of terrible, terrible white for a grizzly bear. He's dying. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying. You know, you're not going to find that constantly. Yep. But I always see people that they, they get kind of upset with themselves. Or oh, I broke my diet. I had a popsicle. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Don't eat one tomorrow, and you're fine. Exactly. But exactly. 
like I said, uh, our relationship with food has gotten corrupted and just perverse to where there, there's even uh, an entire movement of like, quote unquote, food porn, where they're just making these biggest, obscenely just wild creations. You know, I mean, I'm just packing like mac and cheese and pulled pork into a grilled cheese, rolling it in, you know, in, in sourdough and then covering it in cheese again. I mean, you, you see all this things going on, you know, but it, it, it's like you said, it's very palatable. It's very delicious. Yeah. But if you strip everything away, it's grass seed. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very low quality foods for sure. Yeah. And so a lot of, obviously you're, you know, but the things that you're taking in are definitely going to affect your output. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of want to transition now into the strength side of it. You know, I'm willing to bet that the eating part of it is probably the most important contributor to the strength side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, especially when you talk about, uh, you know, muscle building and if you really wanted to have, uh, you know, focus on building muscle, you know, you need to eat, you know, high protein, high quality foods. That's, that's definitely a very, very big part of it. Um, yeah. I mean, on the, on the strength side, I think that the biggest thing for me to address there, well, I mean, first of all, just getting people to do anything to me is at least a first massive step because again, going back to these guys that I was talking about uh, at that barbecue, like people think that they need to do that all or nothing. They think that they either need to be, you know, going five days a week with the trainer and all this other stuff, or they're going to do nothing and just sit on their couch. If you just, if a person goes from being completely sedentary to walking every day, the impact on your health is so extraordinary like you know decreases in in mortality and things like that just from walking a little bit every day is so extraordinary that i don't understand i mean people need to have that perspective that at least start doing something and the good thing about when you start doing something is it builds on itself you know i've talked about this on on twitter before it's like so you start walking every day you make that a habit it's not a hard thing to do anyone can take a walk in the morning or in the afternoon 15 20 minute walk or whatever Eventually, after t- uh, over time, whether it's just like because you're getting bored of walking or whether it's because walking is becoming because you're doing it every day, you say, all right, I'm going to jog a little bit. Maybe not even the whole time. Maybe it's just five minutes of that walk. You just take it up to a little bit of a jog. A little bit later, like even that becomes easy. So you say, what the hell? I'm going to jog this whole this whole time. Then all of a sudden, like you get to the point where Sorry, I keep coming in and out. I think on this internet connection, I'm, I'm going to blame it a hundred percent on the fact that you're in a quarantine zone, and they're trying to limit how much you guys can reach to the rest of us.
All right, we'll try this. You know, again. It's weird because like I'm actually checking my my connection too, and it doesn't look that bad, but whatever. Um, yeah. ho hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll stay on for a little while longer. But yeah. yeah, I mean, so so that's 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 sort of one aspect of it. But you know, another thing that I really focus on uh, is I think it's something like 50% of adults right now meet the just aerobic fitness guidelines, but only 25 or so percent of adults meet resistance training guidelines, which is literally training resistance training twice. Damn. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure what that is. I'll tell you what I'm going to do since this is going to be on YouTube. They don't need to see my pretty face. I'm going to stop my video. Maybe that'll ease up on the connection some. And we can hear you. And I can see you. But you were just saying that 25% of the people barely meet the resistance training. And that was basically training two times a week. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's <clears throat> where I really want to get people to focus because I think that the, you know, meeting, meeting the aerobic guidelines, people should do that. You know, you should do some either, you know, you can do low impact sort of like jogging things or walking, things like that, or you can do sort of less of, of higher impact stuff, but people really need to start doing more strength training. Strength is just so important. And in fact, if you look at the factors that give the highest correlation to reductions in all cause mortality, it's strength, it's lean muscle mass. So basically there's an extremely high correlation between your lean muscle mass and um, reductions in all cause mortality. So people need to start doing more resistance training um, in addition to any sort of aerobic training they're doing. On top of that, muscle is like a furnace for glucose. So any sort of like sugar or carbs or things that you do consume, like the more muscle you have, it just sucks it up. So it keeps that sort of out of your bloodstream. Strength training increases bone density. It increases uh, sort of like range of motion, uh, joint strength, all these other things. And one of the examples that I give in the, in the Primal Strength book is, I don't know if you remember a while back, um, there was this Arnold Schwarzenegger incident where he was in Africa and some guy kicked him in the back. Did, yes. So, yes. Yeah. so this is, Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, I think in his 70s, right? Think of a typical 70-year-old guy, right? So Schwarzenegger's like standing in this auditorium or whatever. A guy does a running two-leg jump kick into his back. And Schwarzenegger basically doesn't notice. He said later on that he just thought like he got a little jostled by the crowd. Try yeah, to he, said, he said he thought someone bumped into him in the yeah, crowd. Yeah. Try to think of any other 70-year-old that wouldn't be in critical condition in the hospital from having someone run across a gym and kick them in the back. Or right? dead. That might be the end of your life. That literally might be the end of your life. And the difference is that Arnold obviously still, ha still has a substantial amount of muscle mass. Muscle is insurance in life. You know, it's insurance not only metabolically, it keeps you healthy, but it's also physiological reserve. Meaning that if you get sick or if you get injured and you end up in the hospital, you have a sort of a mass to you that isn't going to, you're not going to waste away to nothing in the hospital. It's a reserve. So it's sort of like an insurance policy that you have. So building muscle mass is like, that's like the one message I want to get out into the world more than anything else. Building muscle mass is just critically important as you're getting older.
There's almost nothing sort of more important to your long-term health. You know, so many people, so many older people you see just like have a little bit of a fall or a slip and that's it. They're done because it's not necessarily the fall that kills them, but then they end up in the hospital and they waste away to nothing and that's it. The muscle is not only going to protect you in the fall, but if you do end up in the hospital, it's also that reserve that you have to rely on. So that's like, that's probably one of the strongest messages that I'm trying to get across in the strength book. And the program is primarily a strength program, although it does have some, you know, cardio built into it. But, you know, the, the primal strength sort of program is, it's a full, I think, 90 page book teaching like a lot of these, uh, these principles along with, with the program. So I'm really trying to drive home that message for people. Yeah, I've noticed in a lot of your uh, the content that you've put out, uh, and uh, especially the workout aspect of it, a lot of it seems to be more function based rather than, you know, well, I, I, yeah, you might be strong enough to, you know, squat a thousand pounds, but can you actually perform all day long? under a strain, which would go into your resistance training, I suppose. Because I, I think there is a, a different set of strength between functional strength and just primarily gym strength. Because I see your sandbag training and, you, you know, when you're training with the logs and things outside, you're doing things with different kinds of muscles than what you'll normally f be working if you're in a gym on a set machine that isolates to one particular muscle group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the strength is very specific. So yeah, if you're, you know, if you're training for just powerlifting, just doing those like three primary lifts or three or four primary lifts, like you're going to build a lot of strength in those lifts. And yeah, there's things you can, you can do with that strength as well. You're going to be a strong person overall, but you know, there's just a lot of sort of support musculature and, you know, different joints and things like that, that, and balance and other factors like that, that aren't going to be as trained as well. And so if you want to be strong, I think in a very robust way, you do need to work with weights that are a little bit awkward sometimes. So I do, I, yeah, I incorporate that sandbag type of training and things along those lines um, because I do try to do a lot outside. I do get out camping a lot and you know, you're hauling things around when you're doing that. And I want to have that sort of functional type of strength. So, you know, rocking, I think is a good way to, um, to build up that type of strength as well. Yeah, rucking is brutal. Uh, rucking is brutal. Uh, you know, I think the longest I've ever gone on a rug march was like 25 miles. Yeah. And I never in my life want to do that again. Ever. So for, for a while, I was doing, um, I was doing these, uh, there's these uh, special forces run like endurance challenges and they're 12, 24, and 48 hour ones. And you you're talking about the go ruck. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, was, that's, I, that's, I got, yeah. I got heavily into go ruck for, for a while and I was doing their sort of more extreme end stuff. So I did a hell of a lot of rucking there. And actually most of the, uh, the sandbag based training and stuff like that, I was doing around training for their events. So, yeah. And, and that's another thing I'm a huge advocate of, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a go ruck event, but even like Spartan or anything else, like, I love the idea of like getting out there and applying your strength, like not just like building pretty muscles that, you know, you can uh, show pictures to yourself online or whatever, but like actually being like, Hey, I got myself strong. I got my body like, so it can do things. Now I want to do things with it and sort of getting out there and really testing yourself. It's the best way to get fit in my view, like to actually build strength for a reason. 
yeah, when I first started really getting into trying to keep up with the 18 year olds as I was getting closer to my thirties, um, I did a couple of the ultimate gladiator dashes and the greatest thing about this was they mismeasured it. It was supposed to be a 5k, mm -hmm. but it was not a 5k. It was more like a 10k. Damn. Like just the run part itself was a 5k. And then you had to come back cause it was a down and back course. Wow. And once you, once you came back past the starting point, you had to go into the obstacle course. And by the time you've ran 10K, now you have to do an obstacle course is probably another maybe 2K just to get to the end of it. You know, I, that'll tax the hell out of your entire body. It does. Not only, you know, between – and, I, of course, I thought I was a badass. I'm wearing combat boots and, you know, some ACU pants because we were all doing it for a charity. And I'm just – it was hard for me to believe that some of the things that looked so simple required so much. Yeah. And these were just, you know, navigating from log to log or through some overhanging catwalk bars. And, but after your body's taxed that long, if you don't have that reserve built up, you can't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. it was after my, it was after my first one that I realized, all right, definitely I need to build up my strength. Yeah, because I was almost dead by the end of that first one. Yeah, and I mean that speaks to too, like for some of the more intense of uh, the the go ruck events I've done. Like it's funny you'd be sitting like before the whole event starts, you'd be sitting with all the guys, and there'd just be like these massive like muscled up guys, and you know you're like, oh shit, those guys are like huge. Like I'm dead. They're gonna like they're gonna power through this thing, and then it goes for like you know it's 12 hours into it, and those guys are dropping like flies because like. Yeah, they have a lot of muscle on them, but they haven't built up that sort of like that um, ability to kind of the endurance training to keep going with it. Right. Yeah, it, it was it was always the biggest guy that you thought was gonna just completely ace it died halfway through, and you know it, yep. it was all it was all gym pretty aesthetic muscle, you know, like there was no real functionality to it. Yep, that's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. I think uh, I think a lot of people pay. I mean, and it's easy to pay a lot of attention to aesthetics. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's of course, easy to because it makes you feel good. Yeah. But you have to get outside of that mindset a little bit. That just because you look good, don't mean you are good. Yeah, I mean, what I what I hope and like what I think I see is that obviously, like most people. Most people they're going from nothing to at least like having the desire to get fit that's going to be purely aesthetics driven in 95% of cases, I'd say probably that's fine. I mean, whatever gets people like started, that's fine. But what I hope is that like, once people do start to get more fit that they realize this is basically opening up the world to them. They can do so much more that they couldn't do before. And they start using that and start training for that type of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, if they get started for the reason of, Hey, I want to look good naked. Yeah. You know, and then, well, they realize while they look good naked, they can perform a little better naked, you know, even in that area <laughs> <clears throat> or, or just, Hey, you know what? I didn't start sweating when I peeled that orange. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this until I can peel nine oranges without sweating, you know, yep. and slowly work their way up. 
and just realize how much better it makes them feel more opportunities they have more things they can go and do and enjoy and not feel like you know they need an oxygen tank at the end of it yeah exactly that that would be that you know like you said that would be the driving force to make them want to continue yep exactly yeah and so in addition to your uh, primal eating and your primal strength, you've also just released at a great time too, right when the world's shutting down. Uh, uh, Mindset Evolved, yep. uh, which is your audio, video, and, and text-based course on uh, getting into the right frame of mind for all of these things, whether it be the, uh, the primal eating set, the evolutionary psychology of it all, and the uh, primal strength, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean... It basically, it has the components of it that sort of have help with uh, sort of mental toughness training, with habit building, um, with confidence building, you know, all these things along these lines. And, and this is actually uh, where I think I started. Like, you know, figuring out how to, how to push myself and career stuff. Like I've always given thought to the way that I approach these things and worked on improving them. So I kind of consolidated that into, um, into this course and like for, for work, I speak a lot. So I'm like, uh, on stage presenting often I'm on TV, like every once in a while, uh, presenting and, you know, I sort of have, I'm naturally a more introverted person. So it's taken me a lot of time over my life to kind of like build up to the point where I'm completely comfortable with that. So I tried to like explain how, like what my approach is. And, you know, again, with the, with the fitness stuff as well. Um, you know, I was a rower in college and that was sort of my first really hardcore exercise experience and like how I, how I approached that and how I was successful with that. So I tried to encapsulate that all uh, in this course. Yeah. You know, I, I would think that the confidence part would be the foundation of it all because a lot of people don't even start simply because they're afraid of failing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, there's just, it's so fascinating to me. And like one of the, the way I actually start off the course is talking about something that, like when it occurred to me, like it, it's a little bit mind blowing. Like when you think about uh, situations that you get really like worked up, like before you go on stage to speak, most people, you know, get their heart racing, things like that. Uh, if you're sort of out at a bar or whatever, and you're thinking about talking to a girl, like, you know, you start to get, you know, really nervous and really racy and whatever. And like, what people do is, you know, they sort of self-talk a little bit, right? They kind of tell themselves like, all right, you just got to calm down. We got to like, you know, get out there and do this. And I was thinking about that a little bit. And it's actually pretty fascinating. The fact that like, we're telling ourselves to calm down, but we are ourselves, right? Like, who are you talking to when you're self-talking? And so that's kind of where I start off in the course, the fact that there's, there's more than sort of one of us in our heads. We have our neocortex, which is sort of like the higher thinking element to our consciousness. And then we have our subconscious, which is sort of that ancient mammalian um, component to our thinking. The lizard brain. Yeah, well, there's a lizard part as well. That's even, even more sort of uh, primal all the way down there. And so much of the way that we respond to things and overreact to things 
is not from that sort of higher thinking. It's from this sort of driver in our brain that we're not even aware of. So that's like one of the first things I try to do in the course is familiarize people with like what is driving that thinking that's happening behind the scenes in your head and actually causing you to feel certain ways in certain situations and respond to certain things a certain way and not only get control of it, but to leverage it because your subconscious you know you think about I, I give the example of of driving right when you first start driving like it's sort of you know white knuckling you're really nervous like hands on the wheel like you're paying attention to every single thing that's going on but then after you've been driving for a couple of years you can listen to the radio you can have a conversation and it's to the point where like a lot of times like you sort of zone out when you're driving and you're like all of a sudden you're at your house and you're like, holy shit. Like, how did I not crash my car when I wasn't even paying attention so much that I didn't even realize how I got there, right? Well, it wasn't actually dangerous because your subconscious took over and it did it because it was so used to, you know, it's been trained basically to do that incredibly complex task so well that your sort of higher thinking neocortex can just turn off. And so you just kind of like wake up and you're like, holy shit, I'm home. But you were there. It was just a different part of your mind that was there. So, the focus there, you know, and I talk a lot about sort of um, how you can use attention and how you can use your subconscious to also create opportunities for yourself is you can program your subconscious to do certain things that basically like open up massive different opportunities for you. And the way I talk about that, uh, one of the examples I give in the program on that is Chris Johnson, who you know a lot of us know as being this incredibly successful entrepreneur. Um, on Twitter and he's on Instagram as well. And like, he's a guy who's obviously programmed his subconscious, whether he knows it or like, whether he realizes it or not, to just see opportunity everywhere. And you So he's pointing out all these businesses and he's like, you know, it's just this sort of open mall and he's like, all right, here's 15 different businesses. They probably need a website. They probably have bad, like, you know, social presence. Like if you stepped into each of them, you could probably sell them on a package of developing a website or whatever else. Like you and I go to the same like strip mall or whatever. And we're just like, all right, there's a store I need to go to and we buy what we need to go and we go home. He drives there and he's like money. He sees money everywhere. Um, there's another example where he's kind of like it just in a store where there's like these heavily discounted products. And he's like, yeah, you could buy these shoes and then flip them um, onto, uh, onto eBay or whatever. Like, let's see what they're selling for on eBay. He just, everything he sees, he sees through the lens of money because he's sort of like trained his mind to just see those opportunities absolutely everywhere. Um, that's, I mean, so, you know, another, I think really good example too is, you're familiar with the cocktail party effect. It's, it's, I, think, I am not. Okay. So the, the technical term is room. Someone says your name and you hear that, or, you know, you've been, you've been studying some, some topic in particular, like, um, 
I don't know, whatever. You've been studying uh, the stock market and you've been looking at Amazon stock or whatever. You're in the middle of an intense conversation, really paying attention who, who, We uh, seem to have froze up again. Boy, this is uh, going to be one glitchy episode. Sorry about that, folks, if y'all can still hear me. That's another thing I'm talking about in the course, like how you can sort of program your subconscious just to find opportunity everywhere. Right. Um, real quick, run back through the uh, cocktail party effect because you froze up. up on that. It broke up a little bit? or Yeah, it, it broke up. Right. So, so that's when basically, you know, you could be in a totally crowded, loud room, right? You're at a party or whatever else. You're in the middle of like a deep conversation with someone and you're totally paying attention to that conversation you're having with the person. But then off, you know, five, five people away or like halfway across the room, someone mentions a stock that you've been thinking about investing in. Like in the middle of that conversation, you hear them. All of a sudden you hear them say Amazon stock. And you kind of like kind of distracts your attention away, right? Or someone across the room says like Jeff, blah, 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 blah. And you hear Jeff, like your brain has tuned, has been tuned that it's basically filtering. Think about all that data coming in, all those conversations happening at the same time. You're paying attention to someone else, but your brain actually picked up that someone says something that's relevant to you to direct your, your conscious attention to that. Like that's what the cocktail party effect is. So like amidst okay. like all that conversation, like you pick up anything that sort of your brain sees as being valuable, it brings to your attention. So it's able to filter out massive, massive amounts of data and information just to hone in on something that might be relevant to you. And then you kind of like direct your attention to it. Um, the more that you think about a certain topic, like the, if you're starting a new business or whatever else, like the more that you read up on it, the more that you follow people who are talking on it, you're basically telling your brain, this is important to me. You're telling your subconscious, this is important to me. And your subconscious starts working on it behind the scenes. And so it starts creating these filters where you'll pick up other people's conversations happening around you, or you'll see an article that you otherwise would have just browsed over and you're just tuned to that particular thing. So rather than letting your attention run free, and kind of letting it be controlled by other people, by media, by whatever else, like the more you focus on picking the few things that are important to you that you want your brain to focus on, the more your subconscious is going to be programmed to actually like find them and to create those opportunities by finding them. Because if someone's talking about something across the room that maybe you can kind of go up there and go to that person and start chatting with them, and learn something that's valuable to you. Like that's something that's an opportunity that wouldn't have existed if your subconscious weren't looking for it. So attention is extremely important. You've got to control your own attention because if you don't control your own attention, like there's basically most of the most successful industries in the world right now are industries that are working on capturing your attention and using it for their own purposes. So don't let them do that. Basically, <laughs> you know, focus on the few things that are important to you, especially like, you know, career or business wise, and like think about them all the time to the point where they become subconscious goals. 
So that's another like significant part of what the mindset course is. Other than the sort of the confidence building and the mental toughness stuff, it's learning how to program your subconscious in a way that it picks up on opportunities that are surrounding you. Yeah, that's, um, that's actually very fascinating, especially the part, you know, when you think about all the data that you just process and, and bring in all day long, whether it be from the insane amount of noise <clears throat> that is, you know, in your face on all these different screens all the time. Yep. But then, you know, it, it actually just happened to me the other day. Uh, I was outside. I had the radio going, um, focusing on shoveling all this dirt and cutting out this, you know, plot of land. And for whatever reason, I was distracted and I, and I turned. And sure enough, my wife was standing there in the middle of this loud, blasting, you know, Swedish death metal, you know, <laughs> guitar ballad. I heard the word coffee and I turn around. <laughs> yeah. And I turn around and she's sitting right there with a cup of coffee for That's me. That's a good example. That's a very yeah. good example. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so to the, the ability to be able to train that to where, you know, when you mentioned Chris Johnson, uh, where he just walks into the mall and he sees, you know, opportunity, he sees yep. money signs everywhere he goes. It wasn't until I started my own company that I started noticing these things when I see like, oh, you know what? I could talk to this person. I could probably do this. I could probably do that. But it's because I'm focused on it and it's something that's always on my mind. And so with your fitness and your diet and everything else being something that you're conscious of, you're basically reprogramming your mind to give you a completely different lifestyle. Yep. And I, 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 from what I gather so far of everything that I've read on it, that's what your, your course mindset evolved is basically trying to do is just reprogram you. Exactly. That's exactly because, what it is. Because there's a lot of people out there who will get your primal eating or your primal strength uh, program. And then they stop there. Did I lose you? Yeah, for a second there, I'm back. Okay, but they'll get, uh, you know, your primal strength and your primal eating, and they'll stop there because they didn't have the right lens to look through when they were trying to get into that because they're still stuck in that mode of, you know, Homer Simpson sitting on the couch being the fat nobody who does nothing but drink beer and watch football. It lost you again. And we're good again. Yeah, we good. Sorry about that. It's all right. But yeah, no, I, but I you know, and, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, to what you're saying is like, I actually, you know, it's, I wish that I could have started with the mindset book before I did the strength and the eating books, actually. Like, you know, if I could kind of go back and order the products, like I would have, I would have put the mindset one out first, just because I think that you're right, that people kind of like, People buy a lot of, of diet products or, or you know, training templates or whatever, and they never end up doing them. And it's just very, very important that you kind of like have the right approach to doing these things in order to be successful. Yeah, because if, if you're not, it's kind of like trying to quit smoking. You know, if you don't really want to quit, you're not going to quit. 
But you have to be in that right frame of mind, like, I've had enough of these damn cigarettes, or I've had enough of this damn beer, or whatever. You know, you're an alcoholic, you know, nicotine addiction, drug addiction, period. you got to be in that right frame of mind to actually want it. Because yep. I think everybody as a kid would always go to the store and pick up uh, a, a copy of, like, Men's Health magazine, and then flip all the way through all the articles about getting your diet and everything else set. And they would read the workout program that was supposed to give you Arnold Schwarzenegger biceps. You lose me? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what it is. If it's oh. Anyway. Yeah, I'm hardwired in, so I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, and, but, you know, another thing you know, you, uh, saying to Go ahead. No, I was. I, I, no, I was saying. I think. I think we all, as kids, went into the store, and we would find the copy of Men's Health magazine, and flip straight past all the boring things. Okay, we're here again. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So I was saying, you know, when we were when we were younger, we would go to the store and get Men's Health magazine, and would flip through all of the. Uh, boring things to get right to the how to get Arnold Schwarzenegger biceps yeah. workout programs. But we didn't have the mentality that we had to do it more than once. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, another thing too is like, you know, people, if you start a, if you start a program, it doesn't matter what program it is or whatever, like even, even if you don't stick with that program, just keep going to the gym or just keep doing something because the goal isn't to necessarily build the Arnold Schwarzenegger arms or whatever. The goal is to build the habit that will eventually get you the Arnold Schwarzenegger arms. Like you need to just get yourself to the point where you don't think twice about going to the gym. You need to, so even if you're not going to get a good workout in, just get to the gym and do something just like, even if you just put your gym clothes on and then go home, like at least get used to going there, being there and, you know, just doing something. Yeah. You know, building the habit is probably the most powerful thing you can do. And, uh, you know, despite all of our shortcomings with the technical issues that I'm going to 100% blame on you, by the way, uh, I think it's, <laughs> I think that's a good place to uh, leave it off. You know, I, I, there's a lot of information here and I'm fairly certain that the audio version will have less glitches than the video version. But, I hope uh, you're able to clean it up a little bit on the, uh, yeah, on the I, 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 I will do some cleaning. <laughs> and then. I do apologize. Uh, I'm going to figure out the hell's going on with my, uh, with my internet connection. That's all right, brother. I'm happy to have had you on and I'll be more than happy to have you on again. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, I very much appreciate it. Yeah. It's always great talking to you. Um, for everybody watching and listening, uh, there will be links in the show notes to where to connect with Chris on Twitter where to find his uh, books on primal eating, primal strength, and mindset evolved. And so with that, that is going to wrap up the 17th. Yes, the seventh of the Rugged Legacy podcast. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.